Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning, an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. And, you know, black women, man, like, thank y'all. And I, I think I shout y'all out from time to time, but not enough. Um, I want to just say I appreciate you. I see you, your value. I'm um, the way that I try to, you know, people say that all the time, right? Like, I see you, I stand with you. The way that I really try to say, or when I, the way I try to see black women is by centering and amplifying them at Living Corporate. And I'm really excited about this conversation that I had with Yvonne Hutchison, who is an author, an educator, a speaker, a public servant, and an entrepreneur, a founder. A cons- you know, she does all types of things. Uh, but we, we talk actually in this interview about her latest book, How to Talk to Your Manager About Race. And we talk about the politics and the sentiment of navigating white spaces to advocate for yourself. And so I'm not going to like spill too much tea because I'm about to get into the interview. But I just want to, again, shout out Yvonne. I want to thank black women. Thank you for all the things that you're doing. Thank you for all the blessings that y'all have given me personally. All right, let me just, I'm going to be selfish to say thank you from me. All right. <laughs> um, but listen, before we get into this interview with Yvonne, we're going to go ahead and tap in with Tristan. See you in a second. What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan, and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. This week, let's discuss two major roadblocks that can hinder your career. When I talk to clients about their job search strategy or advancing in their careers, two of the major roadblocks we encounter are the fear of putting yourself out there and the fear of rejection. These are two hurdles that can slow down your career if you don't work to get over them. Now, I know many of us have been conditioned not to talk about ourselves and our accomplishments because it may come off as boastful or bragging. This mentality shows itself time and time again, but tell me, Who do you know that has advanced in their career by being meek and never speaking on their accomplishments? That answer is probably no one, and if it wasn't, please send that person my way because I'd love to know the secret. In a world that covets meritocracy and competition, the only person you're doing a disservice with that mentality is yourself. When people find it difficult to speak about themselves, they have trouble writing their resumes, optimizing their LinkedIn's, and strategically networking, which means they often have trouble landing the roles they want. If they do, it's even harder to advance. No one is going to be a better advocate for you than yourself. It's no one's responsibility but yours to keep track of your accomplishments, the results you drive, or the value you bring and highlighting them at the appropriate time. Similarly, many of the clients I work with have a fear of rejection that often stops them from putting their full effort into something, whether that be their job search, strategically building their network, or even sharing their thoughts on projects at work. 
While I understand this fear because most of us don't like to be rejected, this fear causes you to fade into the background and is the exact reason you aren't landing that interview or why you haven't gotten that promotion. To be seen, we have to put ourselves out there. We have to be willing to share our opposing thoughts or put maximum effort into each position we apply to, knowing that rejection is part of the process. Our job is not to get everyone to like us. Our job is to make ourselves seen and unforgettable so we can align with the right people and organizations. Remember, failure and rejection are part of the process, and the fear of them will only hold you back. We have to get out of our comfort zones because the consequences for us holding on to these fears are far too great. Thank you for tapping in with me this week. I look forward to talking to you next week. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Yvonne, welcome back to the show. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? You know what? I am tired, dog. <laughs> look, I didn't want to start with I was tired, but the, let's be I honest. Tired. Yeah, let's, let's be well. honest. Yeah, well, we have both have like young kids too, right? So we are tired, deep in our bones, tired. This right? two-year-old dog is just it's, it's wild outside. That two-year-old life is not, I, I, it's unanticipated is how I would describe it. it is, it's uh, a lot going it's, on. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot going on. A lot of running, a lot of screaming. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll be yeah. like, I, them, you ask them to do something, they look at you and they do the opposite of what you ask. Mm -hmm. like, While smiling. While smiling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, the, or, and like, you know, it's interesting, like Emery, so she, we're in this new thing where, all of a sudden, she just woke up and she could just start saying everybody's names. It's like she can say um, all of her grandparents' names, and and so then we're like, "Oh, this is great!" It's like, "Can you say?" Yeah. And I'll be like, "Oh, can you say daddy?" And she'll go, "Hmm." Let's just look at you. <laughs> <laughs> like after saying it for days, she goes, hmm, "I don't know. Can I?" I don't feel performing right now. I don't feel like it. <laughs> there, there's something. There's something refreshing also about them. I'm like, okay, what can I? I learned from that. But anyway, um, listen, I'm really excited. First of all, I feel like you're a friend of the show. Been on several mm -hmm. times, you know what I mean? Over I the years. Um, Everything's great. And you got this book, How to Talk to Your mm -hmm. Boss About Race, Speaking yeah. Up Without Getting Shut Down. Okay, so let me ask you, let me just start with this. Go ahead. Why the hell are we having to talk to our bosses about race in the first place? Get, answer, answer me this. At riddle me this, we always have to talk about race. I think, you know, as black people, we grow up and we have these conversations early on. We, I don't know about you, the first conversation I had about race, I was probably like four or five. Mm -hmm. uh, and I talk about in the book, how the, the moment when I learned I was black um, and, the, and the continual moments of being reminded that I am black, right? We are constantly having conversations about race. But particularly if your boss is uh, white, if your bo boss is not a person of color, they have been insulated from those conversations. They've not had those conversations. And like it or not, race comes up at work. I also say this in the book that in a lot of ways, um, the workplace sits at an intersection of quite a few racist systems where we live, our education system, the opportunities we get, and the workplace has historically always been racist. We've always been, you know, like our identities have always determined the kind of work we're able to give, which in turn determines our value, right? So if you look at 
who's expected to be successful. If you were look at how black people are brought into this country, how Asian people, Chinese people were brought into this country, a lot of it is tied in with our labor histories. So it's a conversation we can't avoid. And chances are the person who has power in our organization is also insulated and, and, and doesn't have the practice of having the conversation themselves. So uh, quite often the burden will fall on us. You know, and I'm gonna tell you, it's interesting because there's so many situations to your point, like in my career that come up and I'm just like, man, like this is really racist. Like, like mm-hmm. the way that I'm being treated or being exploited mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. you, you look up and you see your ideas straight plagiarized, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and you're talking, you know, and you want to talk to somebody about it. And it's tough, right? Because it's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's almost like having sometimes it's almost like trying to explain, like, how do you explain color to someone who's never who can't see? Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I, I would argue that's intentional. Mm. Right. Like, like that is by design. That is hard for us to articulate the 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 feelings that we get, the microaggressions, the overt aggressions, the impact that it has on us and why it's harmful. Um, I talk a lot in the book about how racism is designed to waste our time, to keep us in our heads to make us doubt ourselves, make us think about what we're seeing as real. And then you add on to that this element of plausible deniability and how most workplaces aren't going to be overtly racist because they could get sued. I mean, unless, you know, some tech companies still do it. But but for the most part, it's going to be covert. And, um, you know, it's it, it, in a lot of ways, it's just designed to make you doubt yourself, what you see and 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 and, and stick with the intent of the other person or the intent of the system that's doing you harm. Man, and shout out to uh, to the late great Toni Morrison, because she talked about that, too, like the function, she, like mm-hmm. this quote, function, very mm-hmm. serious function of racism is distraction that keeps you from doing your work. It has you yeah. over explaining yep, yourself, right. blah, blah, blah. And then practically speaking, if you're somebody like me, like when I start seeing the shenanigans, it wastes my time because I start documenting everything. So, you know, yeah, I just remember like when I was in consulting, let's say like, you know, I'm going to spend 10 hours working. I'm going to spend another four hours documenting all of my exchanges and interactions and everything so that when the the shit inevitably hits the fan, I can go, you know what I'm saying? Here's all my paperwork. So I I hear you on that. Yeah. And it's not just that. It's also the cognitive load of your brain, either figuring out how to navigate and avoid racism or process the racism you're experiencing. You know what I mean? So now you waste some time writing it down, but you're also not as effective because you have to navigate the shit all the time. Man, I remember when I sent my, when I sent a minute my resignation, when I was working at PwC, like, so I sent two resignation emails. Like one I sent to Tim Ryan, the CEO. And then the other one I sent to like all of my, all of like the direct supervisors. Cause in consulting it's different. You don't just have one, you have like a, like a family of, overseers if you will and so um anyway i remember i talked about the fact that like you know most people have a job of like you know they just have to manage their work but like black and brown people have to manage their work and white um sensitivities and Mm -hmm. egos in a way Mm -hmm. that your average Mm -hmm. white or majority member just doesn't right and it's interesting Mm -hmm. like to your point like to your point around like mental weight and it's like because i've I remember seeing people, like seeing white people, who were doing doing great. Like they were doing great work. Like I'm not no, trying to, yeah. you know, like this yeah. narrative of like white mediocrity is real. But like there are also people who are. But it's like also I'm like, oh, 
wow, look how much freer they're able just to like yeah. focus on the work because they're yeah. not they're not always on guard trying to feel, yeah. feel like they have to take care and protect themselves. That's right. That's right. That's right. So let me ask you this then, you know, like as we talk about as we talk about just like in the the idea of engaging and talking to your boss about race and standing up mm-hmm. without getting shut down, like what do you say to like the folks who are genuinely terrified of raising their voice in in fear of retribution? What offer or support does the book provide or wisdoms the book provide in that regard? Because there's so much of, of white supremacy, especially in like the working context, you know, it's shown through violence and violence is not just mm. physical, but like the, you know, the taking away of benefits or the taking away of a job mm-hmm. and in a mm-hmm. capitalistic context, mm-hmm. not having a job is not having a livelihood. Mm-hmm. You can't mm-hmm. survive. So mm-hmm. what does it look like? How do you walk through the the fear? Yeah, in some ways, this book is a Trojan horse. You know, it, 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 the how to have a conversation is actually a little bit of like a switcheroo, I would say, because it's a lot about action. So like, how do you think about as an individual acting in a system that may be racist, right? Um, so let, let, let's start by setting that sort of foundation. And then from there, I say, um, uh, one of the first things I tell people to do is actually find a collective, find your friends, find other folks with you, because I never, ever, ever advocate for someone to speak alone. When you, particularly if you're a person of color, because those um, those fears of being signaled, target, retaliated against are valid. That there's a high likelihood that that can happen to you. It has happened to me, and I don't I don't beat around that bush in the book. I think you're much better set up to navigate those risks if number one you're acting as part of a group of people, and number two you actually have more people people with more privilege acting on your behalf or in some way serving as shields and allies for you in this context. Ideally, even if you're having a one-on-one conversation with your boss, this is happening in the context of broader work that isn't just about you. So you're not gonna be that sort of tall poppy or the person that stands out that gets um, cut down. Yeah. Because quite often, you know, we black and brown people who advocate for ourselves and call, call out racism, um, receive a disproportionate response than other folks that do. So that's the first thing I say. And then I give people tips to navigate fragility and backlash in the book as well. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's, that's powerful. And it, like, there's so much about this space. So, you know, it's interesting to your point around like building that group and that, you know, those allies, because so often in this work, like just in this work, not even this work of like DEI, but just like this work of working. Um, yeah. It's it's it can be isolating, right? Like it's yeah. it's it's oftentimes you're one of the only's in a space, right? Like I mean, right. I'd say the company I work at now is more like probably the most diverse place I've ever worked at. Mm-hmm. But you know, like that's I, I don't think I I just recall like where I've come from. It's like you know it's it's hard now. And then the other piece is. Um, and I, you know, ally is a loaded word, and I know a lot of folks have yeah. different feelings about. But it's hard finding allies too, yeah. Especially when you're asking them to cede any sort of political capital or yeah. leverage their yeah. their political capital or relationship capital yeah. on your behalf. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, I will say that in itself is a sign. 
So that's, that's number one. Um, and, and number two, I think when I think about methods of change, I think some of it is, um, some of it's about individuals leveraging their social and political capital on behalf of a, another individual. But a lot of it is thinking about how are we going to put forward a process of comprehensive change of which individual behavior is a part, right? Like it does that, that doesn't mean you don't have this conversation about race, but it's about more than that. So when I tell people look for allies, who is working on, and, and like, it could be that the people who are working on race in your company are not down. It could be the people who are working on DEI are not down. Like I'm, you know, and they're not really about it. And, and I think that, like I said before, that's, that's telling. But I, I, I start thinking about, well, who's going to be the ones who are kind of putting themselves on the line for the broader mission as a whole? And then how do we situate these strategic conversations? The whole book is about strategy. How do we situate these strategic conversations in such a way where they can le leverage their privilege on my behalf? Or I know that if I'm having this conversation, I've got you know a crew of folks behind me and I'm not the only one having this conversation, right? So I'm not the only one sticking out. You know, it's it's interesting, like, I'm, I'm curious, like, just in the process of you writing the book itself, like, where, if at all, were you challenged to put this together, right? It, it, you know, I've talked to so many different authors, and they talk about how, like, so much of, like, the, the book writing experience, again, every experience is different, but, like, is almost like a bit of therapy for them, or, like, there's, there's some, like, ahas that they discover, like, in the yeah. process of writing. Like, what was that process like for you? <laughs> well, let me, let me, let me like set the stage about how this book came to be, because I don't know how I did it. So I got pregnant in October of 2019, which means in 2020, I was very pregnant. March 2020 is about five months pregnant when we went into lockdown. Um, I don't know if you remember, but the George, I mean, obviously we all remember George Floyd, but the, that that's started happening in, in June. Yes. So I was about eight months pregnant. Goodness gracious. And it escalated. Uh, and, and right around at month nine, because I was a little bit more than eight months, right around month nine was when I signed the book deal. So in month eight, I was writing the book proposal during the sample chapters. I was bedridden at that time because my baby had grown so large that she was crushing my pelvis and I could no longer walk without being in extreme pain. Oh my gosh. At the same time, this is, I mean, this is 2020. My father, just a few months earlier and, and fairly early in my pregnancy was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma cancer. Okay. So that's the, that's the condition I was in when I signed uh, the book deal and I was doing all the interviews and responding all these things about George Floyd. I say that because I had to make a choice in that moment to get out of bed and work. And it was, it, I was literally like going on maternity leave and I was finally, and this is the story of black people, black women, putting my feet up and saying, let me just rest and take care of my body and grow this baby. And it yeah. was like, uh-uh, feet back on the floor. You gotta get to work. Now is the time, now people are listening, now's the book, now everybody wants to hear what you gotta say. So you gotta put your feet back on the floor, you know, you can't take any Advil because you're pregnant. So you're just going to have to muscle through the pain, sit, which was really painful and write. And so there was a sort of experience of pushing through physical pain, which we often do to show up to educate people uh, again. 
Okay. And I say that without, you know, any sort of bitterness, I, but that, that's what it was. And, that, and that's how the book started. And um, uh, throughout writing the book, you know, I gave birth to my baby very early on in the book, you know, in the, in, in chapter 10, I sort of go through all the things that happened. My sister died uh, in the middle of writing the book. Um, that's not to, you know, and that doesn't account for all of the social and political upheaval that, that, that happened during the book writing. And then there layered underneath all of that, there was the personal experience, which is what you're asking about right now. So, mm. you know, navigating outward trauma. And for me, writing the book was a process. And I, I speak about this often in my talks, opening a wound, digging in there, <laughs> inflaming it, navigating it, trying to figure out what made it, and, and then trying to close it up again and sew it up and get some closure before opening the next one. That was my mm. experience of writing the book, right? So I'm thinking, I'm in a way, uh, the stories that I tell in the book, and when I tell them in interviews, you can hear the emotion in my voice. They're not aha moments for me. They're stories of trauma and hurt. And maybe they're stories I didn't realize I had mm. until I dug around. But for me, it was still a process of, learning from trauma and traumatization and trying to heal and uh, before moving on to the next thing for the purposes of education. Um, and uh, I think a lot of us found ourselves in that spot in 2020 yeah. where it was like, tell me about systemic racism. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, tell me right. about your experience of pain. And like, there's this expectation that we of people of color do not only that emotional labor, because I think that diminishes what it really is that go through that re-traumatization process so that we can educate others. And so they may understand our pain and maybe see our humanity. Um, and, and in some ways that's like the, an expected part of that education. Um, I talk, a, I, I, you know, more and more, I don't think that's necessary. Um, but, but, but I also talk quite a bit in the book about care and the process of care, because I think in a lot of ways, uh, I loved writing the book, but the year that I wrote that book nearly broke me. You know, I just told, tell you, told you everything I went through. And, uh, and I really had to figure out how do I sustain myself to show up for my family, the people I love and my community and in this work, because this is not, this is nowhere even close to being over, right? Like, and we see that today. And so, you know, I talk a lot about care, boundaries, um, mental health, um, and knowing when to say no and knowing, you know, when to, like, how to pick your battles. Um, and so that was also happening. I was learning those lessons as I was writing. I don't know if that answered your question, but that was, that was my experience. Yeah. It does. And thank you. Um, and, you know, I think to several of the points you made, like your own experience and even putting this book together is yet another example of of black folks, particularly black women giving of themselves for the benefit of others. Right. And so, like, it just I appreciate it. I'm humbled and honored that you found the and that you had the all the things. There's so many things, not just strength. It's not just courage. It's not just wisdom. It's a a plethora of things to create this, to write this book. Like, I, I think you you started kind of talking about it towards the end of your answer. I'm curious as to, 
you know, what advice you would give to black folks in particular, and then like black women specifically regarding the balance of boundaries and self-management and care in spaces, you know, where, you know, I would say that we're conditioned to always be looking out for someone else. Cause I, mm-hmm. I, I, th- I don't, I don't know if that's honored or appreciated. I feel like oftentimes mm-hmm. folks are shamed for prioritizing their well-being or prioritizing themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a balance. You know, I fundamentally believe, uh, regardless of whether or not it's reciprocated, that we live in community and we can only survive in community. And I think it will be a sad day when we lose our compassion and our empathy and our care. That being said, those things should not be exploited. Having those things uh, exploited or disproportionately giving those things and not receiving them is not part of being in community, right? Like that is like quite the, that's the definition of exploitation. You know, I, I, I come from a school of thought where, you know, um, there's the strong black woman school of thought. And I also don't love that either. Um, you know, I think if I were to give black women advice in particular, but, but all people who are doing this work, but really specifically black women in a lot of ways, the last, the last chapter is kind of a love letter to us. Um, I would say like, surround yourself with a community that cares. That community is probably not at your workplace. We're, we're taught that work is where we're valued, where we excel, where we manifest, uh, you know, black excellence and all that shit. Um, but I think that um, in reality, we are manifested and we live our full selves and our full lives um, outside of work. Yeah, sure. Work is a part of it, but it's also our family, our friends, our community, if you go to church or church, if you don't go to church, whatever practices that you have to build your community, like that's that's like really where where the support is. And I really strongly believe in having those support systems and having people who look like you in them. Not to say that they shouldn't be diverse, they should, but I think it's it's also important to have people who have your shared experience and can offer that support and insight. I believe in mental health care. Um, therapy is super important as well. Um, and getting that mental support um, where you need it. And I think when it comes to, and I'm going to answer your question now, because I think we get strength from that out outside stuff. So then we can set the boundaries inside of the office, right? It's really hard to set the boundaries in the office when the office is your life. When you wake up, log on, work all day, maybe take a break for dinner, eat at your desk, and then go to sleep and do it all over again. You need all that other stuff to give you the strength to set the boundaries at work. But I think it's absolutely incumbent upon us to set boundaries. And in the book, I talk about the different ways we're often asked to do more and how to know when that's starting to veer into exploitation. Like, when are you doing, uh, are you doing somebody's job for free? Like this, this diversity work, ERG work, are you doing that in a way that's uncompensated and can be used against you in the future? Are you um, being set up for success? Are people investing in you like you're investing in people? Like, I, you know, I, I you know, and, and also when do you say no? Because you can't say yes to everything, understanding when you say no. And, and then understanding, I think this is the most important part of the book, when it's not for you. Um, and I think that's hard in some ways that, you know, maybe me saying that so flippantly comes from a place of privilege, but trust me, I have been unemployed. I have been on social insurance. 
Like I have been scrambling and I have had that moment of fear when I have left a job in a toxic place. I didn't know where I was going to go. Um, but I think it's, it's important to know when to leave because a lot of times what happens is we pour into other people. We pour into these organizations. We pour, we pour and pour. Nobody pours into us. And then it ends badly anyway. Yeah. And you know what you mean? And now you got poor mental health. You haven't maintained your relationships. You're not, you know, you're, you're going to be scrambling for another job. Like that's, that's, you, you feel disempowered. You know, I, I, I think that it, as hard as it is to walk away from a job that doesn't serve you, I think more and more it's important that we realize that we need to do that. And sometimes the biggest message we can send is by saying, I can't do this anymore. Oh, I was going to, I just wanted to let that sit for a second. Yes. I love that. And thank you. I think stopping and walking away. I agree. Like, you know, I've definitely have done that in my career several times. And you're right. Like, you know, you pour yourself into things and organize, especially organizations. I think like we're we're taught to just work really hard, right? Work really hard and give more of ourselves than we should, because especially like and capitalism just like culturally teaches that like white supremacist cultures teach like, oh, just like work yourself to the bone. Like there's honor and valor and integrity in like overworking and overgiving. And then it still don't work out like it still ends bad. Right. Like they don't like you're you're not getting you're not rewarded the way you feel like you should be. You're not compensated. Um, you're not hailed. Someone else gets the credit for it anyway. So like, what did you do all that for? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So so I hear I hear you. Well, this has been a dope conversation. You know, we could keep on talking all day. Um, I just want to thank you for coming to to live in corporate again. You know, for those who have yet to check out, first of all, ready set. Um, Ready Set is uh, one of the world's leading diversity, equity, inclusion consulting firms. Uh, Ready Set is uh, founded by Wavon. We didn't really know do all of that, but you know, every listener is the first time. So I want to make sure that folks know about all the work that you're doing all over, you know, because you're several things to several people. So again, want to first off, shout out Ready Set. And then definitely also want to shout out the book, How to Talk About Race, Speaking Up Without Getting Shut Down. Um, a phenomenal, like, just strategic book around, like, the navigation of these spaces um, and, frankly, um, a, uh, a treatise on self-care. So I just thank you again, and uh, we hope to have you back. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, as usual. Um, yeah, p- please pick up the book, and, 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 and hopefully we'll be in, in conversation again soon. The link's in the show notes, y'all, so make sure if you haven't copped the book, Click the link in the show notes and get it today. All right. Pull over. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Pull off to the side of the highway. Put your blinkers on. Put the hazards on. Pick up the phone from your little um, console. Don't unplug it from the car, but you know, go on there. Open up the app. Click the show notes. It's right there at the top. Just go ahead and click it. Copy right now. This is not even an ad. You know, it's just love. Wavon, we will talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you soon. Peace. And we're back again. Um, if you haven't checked out this book, click the link in the show notes, y'all. Uh, phenomenal read. Great, 
great, great read in terms of really personalizing the experience of having to advocate for yourself and have discussions with leadership and uh, the reality of power dynamics. You know, these are real, real challenges and um, having content that helps us really um, give language and framing to it, I believe is really powerful and important. So till next time, this has been Zach. Thank you for listening to Living Corporate. Make sure you give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you don't, you're kind of a hater. I mean, like, what's really going on, right? And uh, make sure you check us out on LinkedIn Learning. And also check out our merch. We got dope merch. It's warming up. Make sure you get yourself a tee, a tank top. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and a mask, right? Because still, real talk, wear your mask. Don't be, wear your mask, y'all. For us, people are still out here getting sick. So mask up, all right? Till next time, this has been Zach. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.